Thank you for tuning in to the new season of the Let's Unpack That Podcast. I'm your host, Lyle Behrens. The gentleman I'm about to have on today, I had the pleasure of working with at the Tribeca Comedy Lounge in 2019. And I remember when I met him too. Oh, God, I fucking hate to say this, but this is the week of Nipsey Hussle passed away. I remember because... I'm on the plane back. We had a great show, great time, great conversation, great brief conversation, but the energy just felt right. And that and certain energies just stay with you, especially the older you get. And I'm on the plane, get back in. My bitch picked me up, my bitch at the time. And, you know, we go to the fucking abandoned army area of Alameda where it's a shitty winery. It's Hangar One Vodka Distillery. Recommend that if you're ever in the Bay Area. And it's some breweries. Then we go back into downtown Alameda, whatever passes for downtown that shithole. And we have some margaritas. As we're having margaritas, I get a message from fucking Tim Young. Tim Young says, sorry for your loss. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, R.I.P. Nipsey. And I was fucked up. I poured out some. I had a little bit extra to drink. And then after my show, I made sure I was sober and got through the show. But after I got through that show, boy, was I fucked up the rest of the next day. And then I remember, like, the Joe Budden podcast. They were, like, in Oakland. And I went to go see them. And I was like, yeah. And they definitely was feeling it, too. Oh, yeah, and fucking Tim Young also hit me up talking about Sorry for Your Loss, and it was fucking Ray Liotta because he knows I love mob movies. He's my fucking celebrity Grim Reaper. Anyways, I met this comic that you guys are about to hear, our upcoming guest, around that time, during that time. And one thing I strive to do this show is I cannot always say what it is, but I try to say what it feels like. Well, you, it's easy to say what it is, but it's hard to say what it feels like. And I try to have on guests that I feel like do that too. And who you're about to hear definitely did that. He has an album. If you guys want to check out his uh, stand-up comedy album on iTunes, it's called Risky Behavior. If you guys want to check out his podcast that he co-hosts with Samir Nassim, you guys can check that out. On wherever the fuck y'all stream this shit. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy my conversation with Gabe Pacheco. So there are certain things with sets that kind of stay in our mind rent-free, especially when you've been doing comedy as long as you and I have. You've been doing stand-up like, what, 14 years or so? Yeah, yeah. I did my very first open mic in 2004, so it's been a while, and uh, and then I took some time off, but that was just uh, on a fluke in Times Square that I did. Okay, that. when would you say, like, but like about like consistently, what would you say, like, I don't know. I think I dedicated uh, time to it around 2008. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. It's a little before me, okay. Sure. But when you've been doing stand-up as long as us, like... 12 years you like 14 give or take is at a certain point sets just kind of blend in and the stuff you kind of remember is just like the real shit it's like oh this is somebody's actual actual life and the thing we did a show in brooklyn almost a year ago and you said something that stayed with me that i i just kind of think about (laughs) you're laughing you might know what i'm talking about you might not you told a story about you were engaged and Correct. then she broke it off, 
then the pandemic happened and you guys are quarantining slash living together for like what almost a year uh we quarantined together through the summer and i think she moved out at the end of august right so we're looking at uh march first was when we broke it off and it really was a game of chicken you know i mean <laughs> uh a relationship you know the signs when it's yeah, not yeah. you know it's like you know when you're not in good shape or your health is is bad but you haven't gotten the checkup and so <laughs> and you're like ah, i'm just gonna I'll, I'll put that off i'm gonna sleep through this maybe i'll just nap longer and then <laughs> um you know i was caught out there sleeping dude i was asleep and she rolled over on March 1st in the bed and her eyes were wide open like a lemur when I, I looked over at her and she's staring at me and she was like, I think we're done. I think this is it. And so uh, that was like, I woke up to a breakup. And, March 1st. Uh, March 1st, man. And we all know how calendars work. So I think uh, there was some rumblings. You know, if you're in the comedy world, people were in February, people were making Corona with Lyme jokes at the open mics. Yeah. You know? But there wasn't really this idea that uh, coronavirus was going to like, like spread across the globe like it did. And uh, so March 1st, we, we consci consciously uncoupled, right, which is a term maybe it's probably a vibe in San Francisco. It, it feels like a West Coast term. Consciously. <laughs> And uh, so we were very civil about it because we didn't, it wasn't like we cheated on each other. Um, it actually was liberating to break up because I think we just both knew that we wanted to. And it was like, all right, well, uh, rent is expensive. Let's be civil. We'll like cohabitate for the month of Mar March and April 1st, you'll be out. Haha, <laughs> April Fool's Day. So <laughs> she, uh, and you know, we're like, maybe we'll sleep at other places. It'll be fine. You know, but we will, we'll just like be, cause my apartment is a railroad, but there was enough space for her to have like a separate, uh, like room to sleep in, you know? And by a railroad, you mean it's like basically just like a straight hallway? Exactly. It's like, okay. a, it's like a train with like multiple tiny cars. And, uh, cause that's what most New York apartments look like. You don't have like a square space. It's just like a, a long, narrow submarine that you live in. Yeah. So, so she, uh, um, then like March 3rd, I get LASIK because uh, it was time to glow up. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, okay, it, I got it. It's time. You got to start looking good. Uh, I was every post breakup, you got to elevate. You just got to add something every post breakup. It's a haircut. You, 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 you got to see better. You got to do something. You got to do something, man. So I'm doing, I was like, okay, I have this disposable income now because there's not going to be a wedding. So I like uh, signed up. I Without pocket watching, how much did you save up? Because I'm I just, had, just, you know. I had about 18 grand. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Now, I didn't know if I was going to spend it all, but I had this money saved. And that made the pandemic not that, uh, you know, obviously it was still a struggle. But um, I entered it with this little cushion because I was I was working and I had this money saved up. I get the LASIK. I'm in bed. I'm blind for about a day and a half, just popping Benadryl. And uh, the only media I'm consuming is podcasts. And I am like a news junkie. So I got Democracy Now! in one ear and then like NPR is coming on right after that. And just like 
So I'm starting to hear like these rumbles around the, the world, right? Like you're like, I may be blind, but I can see, man. <laughs> you're like <laughs> I was blind prophet, dude. I was out here spouting apocalyptic. I, I was just definitely thinking we need to start storing up dried goods. <laughs> and, and then like everybody in Italy's grandparents die on like March 6th. And on uh, March uh, 14th is the last day before the shutdown. And I am hoarding like beans and rice. I'm bringing them upstairs. And my, uh, my ex is in the apartment. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, we're, you know, I'm stocking up for a snow day. It's going to be, we're going to be stuck in here for like a month at least. I don't know what's going on, but we're going to be stuck. And, uh, and then the 15th was my last day going out. And that was the, I don't know if you did this on the West coast, but this was, Everybody in New York was carrying their groceries from the bodega upstairs and spraying all the zucchini with Lysol. We just, we just, I was spraying everything, every surface with uh, disinfectant because we still didn't know how like the yeah. operated. Was it airborne? Was it uh, like th- like on your hands? What uh, was it? Just you know? Yeah, it was that weird time. It's like we weren't wearing masks yet but we were still super kind of cautious. It was like, we were like, do we shake hands? Do we not? And I remember because I was doing a weekend at a comedy club in Portland. And it was the worst weekend I'd done by far. The staff was like talking loud, taking orders. And everybody that came out, it was like the least metropolitan people of Portland. It was like, we're getting like people from the backwoods, very bridge and tunnel, talking loud. So it was, yeah. Yeah. So I was like in airports and comedy clubs all like the last few days. And 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 because we didn't know exactly how it was transmitted when I was seeing images of people out there, you know, uh performing, I kept the my metaphor for it was like you're in the kiddie pool <laughs> with other and you don't know who took a shit in the pool. Right? Like <laughs> Air could be full of all sorts of germs. And so I was just seeing images of people out there having a good time being like, ew, that looks nasty. That's nasty. Yeah. I had imagining that you all are just like breathing in each other's germs. So my uh, my ex at the time, um, she we, the, the world shut down and she was going to rent a car to like go across the country. Like Hertz canceled. And then she thought about getting an airline ticket and like JFK shut down. She couldn't even get out through Newark. So we just Ooh. looked at each other like, oh, I guess we're just going to Netflix and chill or Netflix and ill until like we figure this out. And she ended up staying for like three months, dude. Okay, so I'm curious about that because as you know about uh, my situation, yeah. <laughs> we can get into that a little bit later. But one thing I'm curious about is because I've been in that situation where it's like, all right, we're broken up. And did you get to, and also New York, rent being expensive. Did you kind of get to the point where you went through like, all right, let me try to like show her I'm good. Let me try to, let me try to salvage this. Cause I remember like I was, I was my ex when we broke up out, like we were still going out to dinner and having sex. So I was like, I was stepping up my pussy eating game. Like I did, like when we first got together, I was like, that was very, uh, I was like being like, oh, let me get back to being the best me I can be and see if like I can just show her instead of like use words. Did you kind of be like, let me step up my game or you just kind of like accepted it? No, I think I, I totally accepted it. And I and I think I was uh, pretty much done because I uh, am a little bit of an egomaniac where I believe that I'm giving 
the best. I'm, I am doing the best that I can. So if somebody doesn't want what I'm offering, that's, they need to take a walk. They're done. That's very mature. Like, have you always had that or did like that take? <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's, that's fucking great. Cause like most people, they come with the ego of like, no, I'll show them. I'm going to make you love me like you used to. But it's very mature that you have that. Is that something that you always had or did you have to like work at that? I think it's something you have to work at and uh it's like self-esteem is based on uh if you want self-esteem you have to uh, perform esteemable acts is something that i uh, recently heard and adopted and it is um you have to look at the things that you've done in your life that are great or do great things and then after that you can you know rest and you can sit in that and be like all right no man i know i did my best so if you show up and you do your best it doesn't mean that you're like grinding and hustling and like yeah stressing yourself out but you are being the best you can be and so i think um uh, if there's a like i'm a i was a public school teacher before i started doing stand-up and i've always been uh someone who like believes in service so i've always had this thing outside of being an entertainer that it has uh protected my ego from like from this hustle that we're in yeah you know? um, because it's so easy to get uh wrapped up in um the rejection of of being a performer and like or the uh the tenuous nature of like our economics doing this you know because if you if as an artist if you if you uh if uh, align your self-worth with how much money you make or how much success you have in this creative field you will always be um you'll always feel empty you'll always feel uncertain because you can be hot one day and then you're not the next so finding like something that's always just helped feed me as a human or like keep me connected to the world has been like teaching or or some other like now i work in a museum as well yeah. so just be connected to people outside of just meeting other like ego-driven actors yeah i mean you know it's like that that's one thing that i think is important with um especially if you do something like stand up where you like you're really just in a bubble and it's so easy to just eventually have like oh my roommates are stand up now i date a stand up all my friends are stand up my world is just filled with stand ups it's good to have like an outside thing like oh i know these people they know i do stand up but out the shit we talk about isn't like you know yeah. a joke somebody stole or who ran a light or whatever you know yeah dude i mean the I, it, the craziest thing you can ever do is uh talk to a normal person who uh who just lives a regular costco life uh, and try to talk to them <laughs> about uh like a twitter beef you know <laughs> no nobody cares outside of um and so you will get like horse blinders if you only hang out with other performers because you stop being connected to the world as it really is and <laughs> uh so that's the advice i have to artists out there is like always have one foot out there in the real world you know have a root in the soil yeah well i mean for me that that was helpful because i started doing stand-up like a few weeks after i had turned 20. yes and so like my like formative adult years i was literally just in bars comedy clubs and doing like you know weird shitty fun one-nighters so for me, it was like probably when I was around 22, 23, I was like, oh shit, I need that other side. I need to get 
a girlfriend. I need like to get reconnect with the homies. I'm like getting because too much. It's like you get a little too uh, self-referential when you just like in your artist bubble. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so why, why I brought that up though, is, um, with this breakup, it's like, I felt like a, you know, I, I've been, a, I think, uh, a strength and a weakness is like, I've always had like a caregiver personality in that. Um, so I knew that I was doing all the right things Yeah. with my partner at the time. Um, but they just weren't enough for what she needed. So, you know, it's like, okay, well, I did, I did my best and it was easy to like, just immediately start, uh, sliding in DMS <laughs> without <laughs> recklessly sliding in DMS because, oh yeah, well, it was the pandemic. Like what else are you going to do? I was, I had a, I was in a relationship and I was still sliding in DMS during the pandemic. I was like, well, I'm fucking, like, what else am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, and, and uh, honestly, it was great to be on pause because there was like three months uh, where, well, sh so she was like living with me for three full months. So this is like a 90 day ex-fiance situation. And then there were like two months where nobody was moved in and she still had a couple things in the apartment. So she would pop in and out. And that was fine because my landlord gave us uh, like clemency on rent for a couple months. Mm. That's uh, nice. So, so I was like kind of perfectly positioned when this happened in some ways. Financially, I wasn't feeling the, the strain. Psychologically, I was. But uh, again, the freedom, having the breakup before the shutdown was amazing because I, can, I think about how much worse it would have been to be with somebody who didn't want to be with me. Like, you know, the fights you have in a relationship over nothing? Yes. Oh, I, I, I didn't even wait to hear what you said. I just said yes. Like, yeah, before you got to over nothing, I'm like, yes, the fights. But yeah, 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 over nothing. I know. Yeah, the fights over nothing that are over values. They're not over, but, but they come out as over the dishes. Or they come out as over your opinion on the show The Boys. Or, uh, you're, or like, why, why are you listening to that song again? Why are you listening to Third Eye Blind again? So anything the way you chew. That's yeah. what it was for me, the way I chew. It's like my mouth is closed. <laughs> yeah, they just hate you because you can't escape each other, and yeah. uh, because you you're both living a game of chicken, right? The lie that it's still going to be okay one day, and you don't actually want to have the blowout fight because you don't want to end it. But because we ended it before the pandemic, we we just became roommates, dude. We became uh, cellmates in a submarine, and it was all like, right. Let me. Were you guys still having sex? No. Even when broken up? Oh, wow. Okay. No, but also mercifully, I think that that had slowed down during the relationship to the point where it was fine. Like, okay, I was so pining. It was like, cool. Okay, well, the benefit of the relationship was sex. And now that is not really uh, on the table. So who cares? So great. Great. Now I'm breaking up with somebody I'm not having sex with. Awesome. That's crazy because when we broke up, we started fucking like crazy. Yeah. Like, it was like, and I think it was a kind of a thing of like, all right, this is going to be the last unprotected sex, the last person who like I'm going to be familiar with. So it's like, let's enjoy this while we can. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's different for everybody. I also think that um, 
I've had that before with uh, sometimes a breakup uh, uh, reignites the passion because the commitment is often a commitment to domesticity. It's a commitment to routine. And the, the person that you fell in love with often is somebody who you were going on adventures with. Somebody yes. who, you, who you were spontaneously having fun with. And this is like what's to me absurd about um, uh, how most people enter relationships. Like if your goal is to get married and lead a Costco life uh, with, with a couple pets and like crank out some kids, then you should be looking You like it's absurd that we meet someone, uh, most of us, in an adventure state of mind doing random reckless things. And then after you orgasm with this person, you think, you know, this wild anarchist uh, Mad Max character that I just had a, a reckless weekend with that, you know, I really want to put them in a box now where we start working on uh, like joint bank accounts and a mortgage <laughs> plan. Like you, it should start there. Like you should go to a boring ass beige uh, slacks convention and meet someone else with a Bluetooth earpiece and be like, yes, that's who you really want to have, like, start, like, uh, begin that marriage relationship talk with. Not oh, wait, so I got, so I got a question, right? Yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't want to make this about, you know, my, my past misery <laughs> or whatever, but, but yeah. since, since you're taking it there. So when we was like getting ready to go to, cause I was pushing going to LA cause I got more connections out here and all that. And, but yeah. she was like, New York, it'll be fun. It'll be an adventure. And I can, I'm too pale for LA anyway. So, and, and I don't like LA Jews. I like New York Jews. You know, it's like, you don't even know them, but that was like the, that was like the conversation that, that we were having about things and blah, 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 break up. And I kind of felt it was heading uh, in that direction, but I was like, all right, New York's a business decision. Let me see what this is about. But having said all that, and you, you talk about Costco lifestyle, I felt like, all right, this isn't going to go well because I'm hearing more stuff about uh, New York in terms of our relationship with um, it being about, you know, adventure and stuff like that than like actually uh, really, you know, getting a, like, like a lifestyle and, and, and like planning certain things. So, and then anyways, it ends and, I, and I'm at bars, I'm talking to people, telling them all my problems from comics to bartenders to just, I had like a few non-comedian friends out, out in New York. But the thing everybody said was, if you come to New York in a relationship, that shit will end. Every, every, I don't know if they're trying to make me feel better or, can you, can you speak to that? Yeah, I can. Uh, and, and I think uh, before I do, really what I wanted to get at is that most people should enter. Uh, if you want someone who to live a stable life with, you got to come with that at the beginning. It can't be something that you, where you change uh, directions midstream. And uh, mm. but, but what I with New York specifically, New York is one of the roughest cities to enter or exit. It is, uh, you know, like if. if <laughs> If you when you say inner exit, you're not talking about just relationship. You're just talking about moving in and moving out. Yeah, man, it's got like it's uh, it's you know when you get in a, in a spaceship, once you get out of the atmosphere, it's real easy. You don't use that much fuel. But to get out of the the stratosphere, 
that's where you use the booster rockets and all the jet fuel, right? In the I remember case, what Matt Damon had to go through in The Martian. Yeah. <laughs> and entering New York is the same thing, man. You know, you got to go through the atmosphere and there's all this friction. So, you know, literally the first two months of, of moving here, uh, visiting's different. Visiting is stressful, like just getting out of JFK. And yeah. then your second day here is fine. But moving here, man, you got to deal with a broker. You got to find a new apartment. Uh, you don't know which bodega to go to. Uh, you can't trust. <laughs> who do you trust? Who are like normal people? Who's shady? Every you got the minute you step out on the sidewalk, you got to look both ways to make sure you don't get hit by a delivery guy on a bike. It's just from the moment you leave your apartment, it's hectic, and there's a multitude of systems that have to become routines, not only for you but for your partner. And mm. now. You have to deal not only with the psychic energy that you've expended and the emotional energy and social energy of acclimating to all these systems, but then you also have to be the support network for another toddler who's learning how to walk in this city at the same time. And you're saying we that, that like we both become toddlers when we get to New York. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And so how this toddler is going to ask you to help them, and you're like, I barely can move, man. I'm still changing my diapers in this city. What are you talking about? Fuck. And then if one of you starts thriving in the city, now, man, the other one is like a little uh, sad, you know, and the Little Mermaid, <laughs> the the, the uh, Little Mermaid people that Ursula stole their souls and they just live in the cave now all sad. That is often what happens to one member in a relationship when you move to New York. Just statistically, people aren't going to make it when they come here. And now you're with, uh, a wounded little mermaid who lost its soul that's staying in the apartment sad and you gotta come uh, how, how did you how the fuck do you, do you know my life like how did you did this happen to you <laughs> yes yes this happened to me this is exactly what the fuck you are not lying one bit you were yeah, fuck therapy. It's like it just uh, yeah, just pod with you. Uh, no, so <laughs> it's a tale as old as time, baby. <laughs> Wait, so when you how old were you when you moved to New York? Oh, uh, so I was it right after college. I moved here right after uh, 9-11. I graduated in two thousand one, and um, so what was that? May two thousand one, and then uh, September the towers came down. And then the next year, I was I was out of town. I was living in my parents' basement in Washington D.C. It was a total bummer, because uh, Bush had just been elected, and uh, all of the twenty-two-year-olds in the city, because D.C. is like uh, student government forever. So all of like the student government people from around the country moved to D.C., and every twenty-two-year-old was like a little young Republican. So I uh, so it just changed like that. It was like so like okay then like. That's a just quick question about that. Yeah. So then let's say Obama gets elected. Does it change into a bunch of 22-year-old Democrats? Exactly. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Hope boys. Hope. <laughs> hope and change kids show up. And uh, they're different than whoever the Clinton ones were before that. Change then, gang. Yeah. Change gang. They show up. And then, yeah. you know, and then the Biden boys are in there now, and they're different than the Obama people. So Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, so every DC is kind of like a, it's like a dorm or a hostel for, um, like weird lawyer think tank people 
who just show yeah. up every there's two two cities there's the black city that's there forever and then there's like the lawyer white like uh uh professional managerial class banquet party cocktail lounge kind of yeah 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 and then and like intern interns okay so so being that you grew up uh in because you grew up in dc right you're born in oakland and then grew up in dc that's right i got a memory so Uh (laughs) uh-huh So I, I a question for you because I got like I got like homies just black and grew up in DC or even like the the greater DMV area and they're like yeah that shit is segregated I got yes. friends uh, that like even yeah. moved there and they're like yeah we like going to black clubs and we were the only white and Mexican people in the club this couple I know uh, Italian dude uh, Mexican wife and he was like yeah we lived there and we're like whoa this is like segregated in the motherfucker so growing up there like were you on one side or the other like. Oh yeah, because this is a Mexican man. Like, where do you fit in in that? Uh, we we were in an, an anomaly. There were like <laughs> maybe ten other Mexicans in DC in the eighties, and um, there also was not uh, a lot of Mexicans on the East Coast at that point. Um, yeah, DC's Latino population was uh, what in the eighties was Salvadorian. So a hundred thousand uh, Salvadorians refugees came to DC after the Civil War started in El Salvador, uh, propped up by Reagan and the conservatives, they, they, they really amp- made that civil war happen. And so ironically, uh, DC, the nation's capital, is now filled with a bunch of refugees from the country where we started that war. And that's where I learned Spanish, was from Salvadorians. And it was super segregated, but I lived uh, right by Adams Morgan, which was the uh, heart of the uh, Salvadorian immigrant community at that time. And Mount Pleasant, uh, but in Northwest DC, which is the like bougiest quadrant, that is the segre- That is like also the white quadrant of the city. Growing up, socializing, dating, and all that. Who who embraced you more? Who was who was warm? Who was uh, difficult? I think, right? I mean, it's so again. DC is weird, man. I grew up in the city limits, and it's a little bit like a museum. Like the, it's a, it's a, it's a hub for tourists, uh, with all the monuments. And then that's the center of the city. And then the quadrants going out, uh, the neighborhoods are different. Um, man, all I have to say is that it was a, it was rough. Like it was block by block. So mm, when I went back in the early two thousands, my sister was living downtown on U street and, uh, not downtown, but on U Street, which is a famous street in DC. And it was part of like, it was like a black Renaissance street in the 20s. And then in the 80s, it was like open air, like uh, you can get whatever you wanted there on the streets. And I would never walked there when I was in high school. And I walked to my sister's apartment and like my spidey sense was going off the whole time. Because not because it was dangerous, but because it was dangerous when I was growing up. So I felt this sense of like, wow, man, things are really like they're white ladies, like with strollers here now. There's like community gardens, you know, and uh, but there was a lot of street crime. That's all. A lot of robberies and a lot of uh, breaking and entering of cars. Sounds familiar. That's, that's, that's Oakland shit right there. Still Oakland. still happens. Yeah, I feel like Oakland and D.C. probably had like parallel um, experiences in the 1980s. 
Oh, that, yeah, crack. I mean, c- come on. Like, I gotta ask. I gotta ask you this. Um, since we we're talking about earlier about like moving to, oh, or relationships ending in New York, is there a thing? Because not not to throw uh, not to throw my ex under the bus, but hey, you know, move out the way. Yeah. So it because there's this thing, and this was essentially what it was uh, w- confirmed in our breakup and the move and all that was people that move to New York or to a city because we could keep it general, but move to a city, move to New York to make themselves more interesting. How often do you see that? Wow. Where it's like, why are you here? Because it's like, you're an artist, I'm an artist. And I feel like if you're an artist or you move out for a job or multimedia or you're like, yeah, ah, this is where the best chefs are or, or a trade, like that makes sense. But it's like when you have a techie job, your company's based, you know, uh, in San Francisco and you're fucking... And it's like, this is kind of actually inconvenient for you to be on this type of time, you know? And, and that, that was the thing that we'd have is, um, you know, you, it, you're in New York. You want to experience nice restaurants. And it's like, it's, and it's like oh, you know, I don't really get off until 8 p.m. And then I want to decompress. And the next thing you know, it's 11 o'clock. What the fuck? I thought the city never sleeps. And it's like, no, that's just the bars and the late night diners. Like the nice restaurants close. The more chefy shit closes at 10, 30, 11. So... Is that something that you see? Like, you feel like... So, like, I don't know a lot about New York City's nightlife. And a reason is that I was grinding and doing sets at night. So my nightlife was going to three or four shows an evening. Most comics don't know about nightlife. (laughs) It was so weird. Like, when I started uh, dating other people and they're like, oh, you know, I used to go to this uh, nightclub or this bone party. Or like, do you know about this sex party? Or do you know about this other this like after hour spot and i'm like why would i i i got free drinks at the club i was at so i never went to the speakeasy or (laughs) all of these like things that uh i feel like squares think are cool because it is cool to go to a speakeasy behind a laundromat if you work a nine to five you know yeah you're mentally like i need to do something that uh, allows me to feel like I'm having an adventure and to escape my daily grind. But when you're a, like you as a performer, as this, doing stand-up to me was like a peak expression of, of my authentic self. You know, it, it was like, why would I need to do drugs when I'm <laughs> on stage? So like, I never drink before the show. I've never- I, I noticed that. I love uh, drugs. Okay, I'm not saying I do drugs all the time, but what I say is I have no, there's no moral sense. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You can't just skate over that. I love drugs, but I don't do them all the time. You said a lot of ambiguity around your relationship right. with drugs right there. I need to, That's right. all right, I just want to unpack this real quick. Okay, yeah. what drugs have you done? I'm pro all drugs. They're all good. That, yo, 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 he skated over again. You just, you spun the block again. I, you smoke weed. Yeah, I have. I have. And weed has inspired uh, my, my personality and my creativity in the past. But I don't like smoking it now. So like... Oh, okay, so you've... You, are you done with drugs? No. But... <laughs> okay. So when I was a teacher, I was drink. I would drink... Uh, uh, I started drinking on Thursday at happy hour at 3 yeah. p.m. And I started... I, started, I was teaching in the Bronx for a couple years and I really liked the kids 
but it is uh, very much like that show, uh, Abbott Elementary. Abbott, yeah. You know, and it's a little bit like that, and it was a little bit like uh, The Wire season four. I season think. four? Yeah. yeah. I, I identified with uh, like uh, Presbo's classroom because, you know, I just didn't know what I was doing, and I, and I didn't know how to manage uh, the emotions and uh, the welfare of the children that I was like in charge of. And I had to deal not only with them, but with like a, bro a completely broken institution. So now, you know, happy hour, we would start drinking on Thursday and then you'd come in on Friday uh, smelling like a viejo, just like an old, you're just uh, just a raisin brain little tortoise trying to teach science to these kids, moving slow. And then we would go out on happy hour on uh, Friday and Saturday and then Sunday hungover, you would do your lesson plans. And this was like all the young teachers uh, kind of. This was a culture that was very much embraced. Now, stand-up started really saved my health and life because I uh, continued to, um, I would never say no to anything, but I had another thing in my life that would be like, well, why would I, I don't want to drink before my set. Or, oh, yeah. I, oh, I've got two shows tomorrow night and I'm working all day. So I don't want to be hungover tomorrow because I want to be, fresh enough to do this thing that I really enjoy. So as long as I feel like that is the thing is it's not about saying no to things, but it's about filling your life with things that you really like doing, which makes it, uh, it makes it harder to, uh, you don't want to waste your time. If that makes sense. Like, I don't no, that makes perfect sense. I don't want to waste my time on stage drunk because I don't want to forget what I said. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's also like a thing I think of. Um, I, well, okay. All right. I notice because I've been in like three comedy scenes, like New York, the lightest, but Los Angeles, San Francisco, Bay Area, and New York. And I'll say New York comedians really know how to drink because, and they're like, <laughs> it's like they're professional. Like, I have, I have not seen. At least in my short time, like living out there, I did not see one comic that was like on a show show because I didn't yeah. do any open mics out there. But I did not see on a show one comic that seemed fucked up, but everybody kind of seemed like they were enjoying themselves and like, yeah, let's have one. And then after the show, hey, let's hit a spot after. Let's hit a like when I did your show. show I uh, went with the comic af after and we grabbed Bodega. For, like that was always like a thing. Like, yeah, let's have a drink after if you know you don't have a show. And LA, it's like, no, I got to go over my side. So I'm going to be, I got to, I'm getting new headshots. I'm going to be bloated. No, I got to go home. And it's partly because of car culture, oh, but which can also, also make LA very lonely. Like I'm, I'm very lonely right now. So no, you can, you can drink in New York all the time. And, uh, it's, yeah. easy. it's, it's great to be able to do that and then hop on the subway or just walk. It's like, oh, cool. I'm 30 minutes, wherever I'm at, I'm 30, a 30 minute walk from home. So if I, Is it, did you watch home, Boardwalk Empire? Yeah. What my favorite line uh, when they tried to shake down Narcisse, Lucky said, what I like about New York, everything's so close. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fucking real. And then the Bay Area, it gets a little sloppy, like comics really kind of do develop uh, some problems. And then they kind of go cold turkey for a minute and then they dip in and out of drinking. But it's like, it, you know, but th those are the three cultures I noticed where uh, with comedian drinking culture. And one thing about New York is it was like I'd be at the stand or 
uh, New York Comedy Club, and I've never got to get up there. But you know what? I would get free drinks there. I'd just be tipping and at the bar chilling and talking. How did I get so many, not even comedy clubs, I would get extra shots. How did I get so many free drinks, Gabe Pacheco? Yeah, man. You just got that, you got a lovable face, dude. They're like, this guy's going to be applying with drinks now. And uh, I think that for me, it is It is like a temperance is where I'm at. I, moderation. I just, I co-sign everyone's behavior. I want everything to be legal. And I, I feel like humans should be able to do whatever they want chemically and it's just mm. and the real problem we have is not that people for me i don't think it's an addiction where uh it, it is more that there's a hole that is being filled and if you fill that hole with something else then you can handle whatever you don't want to say what drugs you've done well you yeah that's correct Okay. Okay. I like. I'm not gonna push. I'm not gonna push. But all right. All right. But uh, all the psychedelics uh, were definitely a big inspiration and helped me out. And I think they uh, are profoundly um, useful tools. And uh, I've gone to a couple ayahuasca ceremonies, and th those were okay. I like, <laughs> I, I like doing independent study. I don't. I don't like. Uh, <laughs> I don't like group activities. <laughs> All right, you like the you you prefer a think tank. <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if I'm doing this right. Yeah. I'm not. Or it's that I pr I also uh, prefer a sensory deprivation chamber. You know, any anything you can do. This is this is my Rogan part of the podcast. <laughs> go off, go off, go off, go off. Call me a monkey. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, floats, man, floats are great. Uh, anything you can do to knock yourself out of your um, pattern that you're in right now. Get out of your rut. You know? It could be. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like you, you, you're you very, I feel not necessarily I'm connected to you, but I feel like you see me right now. <laughs> Yeah, well, Zencaster is great. It's I've got a great video feed. <laughs> I see you. I see you uh, trapped in your space in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, and uh, you just and your condition is a condition that most of the country's in. Is we are stuck in uh, an automobile culture. Uh, we're like little polyps inside of our coral, little our coral cell separated from all from everyone else and you know uh i don't know how to help <laughs> i don't know how to help but uh this is why i love new york city because you can walk around you know being able to that's walk is all right i'll tell you the two things i'm because like comedy's just better for me here like yes. i'm like when i came back i'm like wait i've already gotten up at two comedy clubs and right. i've fucking like, and it's only been two months. Like, oh, what, what? yeah, I, I should have came here. I should have override that, or I should have let her go to fucking New York. And I'm like, all right, see, I'm going to LA, and, you know, let's link up and fuck when we can. Like, I'm like, I just replayed everything in my mind. Like, yep, I should just hit the do-over button and that, and let you go find your a personality in New York, and then I'm do my thing in LA. Um, what I miss about New York is I miss the ability, because walking around the Bay Area, it's just sad now. It's homeless encampments. It's gentrification is just run amok 
it's tech everywhere. And the problem with the Bay Area is so many of the new artists are techies, which yeah. I mean, and I don't say this in like a, a day job shaming way, but I feel like when, okay, everybody in the area is part of the power. And then now the new artists are a part of the power. It's like, and I don't think every artist should be like sleeping on couches and every artist should fucking, you know, be hustling and have their waiter job and work at a dispensary or sell something on the side or do whatever, work in a warehouse. I think it's like, I like having tech techie artists in different perspectives, but I think yeah. when it's kind of all one thing, it's fucking, so the Bay Area is just like fucking rough. It's like, I, I can't go back there, you know, genuinely. So, but what I miss about New York is I really did feel like when I'd walk around, I was kind of like in like a, a bunch of mini villages. Like you see some people talking and you walk by and then you, you know, but nobody really bothers you. And there's like a kind of beauty of community and anonymity at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, I walk outside and uh, whenever, whenever I get a little bummed out or depressed or in my head, I know that if I walk out the door uh, nine out of 10 times, I will run into someone or have an encounter that will uh, shift my, get me out of that space. So like a couple days ago, I ran into an old student. I was just, it had my earbuds in. I walked three blocks out of my apartment, depressed, earbuds in, listening to Democracy Now, talking about genocide in Yemen, real sad. And then out of nowhere, uh, I look, <laughs> this is wild, because I like looked this adult woman up and down, and then, uh, and then she like made eye contact with me and like- Did you find me. her attractive? Hey man. Uh, Did you find your former student fuckable? Like it's, it's, so, it's a- she like did the miming, pull out your earbuds. And I was like, uh, and then she was like, are you Gabe Pacheco? And I was like, yeah. And then I thought maybe she had seen like me at a comedy show. I don't know why. But uh, she goes, you were my fourth grade science teacher. And I like smoke came out of my ears. I was like, what? Excuse me? And uh, she's 27 now. So I've been in this city long enough that uh, that one thing, right? To see an old student who was like, you were my favorite science teacher, uh, whatever. And I was like, what do you do now? And she's like, I'm, a, I'm an influencer. I'm on TikTok, da, da, da. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, that was great. And that was one example. And then like, you know, a couple other days I walk down the street and I run into another, a woman who uh, I did open mics with like 12 years ago. And she's like, I'm down the street uh, managing this dude who's, who's painting a mural on the street. Come down and like, look at the murals. And I love street art, you know, I love, yeah. love, so now I'm like hanging out, taking pictures, looking at, uh, just connecting with people I would have never, I would never connect with if I was living in Kansas, you know, or if I was in yeah. DC even, you know, I don't care if you're like one of Biden's personal assistants, I don't want to meet you. <laughs> is that a DC reference or is that yeah. you slipping in the anti-Biden? No, no, no. Just a DC reference because that's where he's at. Okay. But that's who's in charge now. But yeah, uh, that's why I like the sponta spontaneity of this city. When I move, the city I want to retire to, though, is uh, Mexico City. I think that. Why Mexico is, City? I think Mexico City is the Paris of uh, North America. I think it's the best city in North America, hands down. Better Please unpack anything, that. Any, better than anything in, in uh, the United States. Well, so I went to Mexico City uh, maybe 20 years ago, and one it blew one thing that blew me away was like I'm a huge fan of history, and I was like pretty good at U.S. history, 
But then to go to this city and see that it is like, you know, almost as old as Rome. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, like the oldest thing in the U.S. is like Boston. And we we like fetishize these pilgrims and we fetishize the founding fathers. And it's like, whatever, man. Like there's like. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. Yeah. This is my like uh, Mexican hotep uh, part of the show. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. I'm like, yo, the Aztecs were amazing, dude. They had like hanging. They had a floating gardens and they had wonderful agricultural systems and uh, hydroponic setups and. They were they in a, a wonderful cosmology. So along with all the other indigenous tribes in uh, Mexico and you go there and it feels like Blade Runner, like Mexico City feels like Blade Runner because you've got skyscrapers that are as comparable to anything in New York. So the, it looks super futuristic. But then right next to those skyscrapers are Aztec ruins. And then on the street level, you have people speaking Quechua, just like indigenous languages uh, cooking tortillas on the street. So it's like the future and the past all combined, right? Just like mashed up right there together. All right. So I, I don't, I don't want to get like, you know, too, you know, heavy right here. Cause you seem like you're in a very happy mood, you know, you like, but by the way, before, before like, like I go into what I'm going to go into. Yeah. Did you feel that like I really did gravitate towards you like as I was moving there and as I was preparing and kind of uh, hitting you up like you felt that like you felt like a, a a warmth I had towards you right Well I really enjoyed uh I think the first time I met you was at the either Tribeca Comedy Club or Dark Horse Comedy Club maybe Yeah, like, it was Tribeca, yeah. A year before you moved here and uh I really appreciated your set and I loved your energy and all the voices that you were doing and like how you slipped in and out of characters. And then also, yeah. uh, I think there was like an element of improv to it where you even gave the audience an opportunity to like pick who you were going to do impressions of. Yeah, yeah, I didn't do. I remember that. That was like a top 10 set I ever had because I remember like Tribeca, like I did not do a lick of material. And I was like, whoa, I'm, I, it felt like an, I, there are like certain outer body sets. And I don't know, just me being in New York at the right time was in the right place in my life. And, before that, every trip I ever took to New York, I didn't really like. And that was yeah. like the first time it was ever great. Well, you really, uh, I mean, I, I think it was cool. I got to see you really hit a wave. Like you caught the wave uh, yeah. on that set. And uh, so I remembered you from that one experience. And uh, when you reached out to me, because uh, you were moving here, I was like, yeah, yeah man. You know, because I'd only seen you at your best. <laughs> <laughs> So you made a good first impression. <laughs> you want to talk about uh, when you saw me when I moved out there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were like, I'm in a relationship. I don't know where it's going. <laughs> no. I never said that, but <laughs> no. are you saying you felt that? The vibe. The vibe was there. Yeah. What okay. Else? Like, yeah. Oh, all right. All right. Let me, let me just ask you, like. When you saw me and you met her, were you, did you, because, and this is like why I wanted to have this conversation with you on here, because we have a lot of the same references, Wire, Sopranos, Boardwalk, like we're both, we both some coons for HBO. Um, and like you have, because like the Wire has this kind of thing of, um, okay, this person becomes the new this. Oh, I've seen this before. Like, you know, uh, 
uh, Dookie becomes the new Bubbles, Michael becomes the new Omar, and so on and so forth. Sidner becomes the new McNulty. Did you, like, see me and have this kind of thing? Oh, I've seen this before. Uh... <laughs> Because everything you say, like, you see me now, you see me, and it's not, I'm oh, normally the, like, here's the thing about you, I'm normally that motherfucker, and it's not, it's rare that somebody's that way to me, you're also older than me, but, yeah. like. Uh, there are, there are universals uh, with um, moving to New York, and, and hubris, uh, not specifically yours, but I would say, all right, so I start. You're saying, with, you're not saying I lost my balls, but you're. No, but but uh, but what I what I do think is that this city uh, will. Mm, I don't want to say like you got to. This city will beat you down because there are so many um, struggles. There's so many challenges that nobody uh, has a has an easy entry. Nobody thrives when they first get here, unless you are on S. Unless you're moving here because you got hired for SNL. Like, yeah. And even those people, they just look like things are going fine, but they still have all the same problems finding the right bodega and uh, and all of the little... And birds will shit on them when they walk down the street. Well, uh, it's funny you say that, because you know uh, Kamel Bell? Yeah. Uh, Kamel, he... And I don't know Kamel at all. I kind of think he doesn't like me. Like, but it's a, Yeah, that's another story. But um, so Kamel Bell, he moved... And I know this because we Facebook friends. I don't know if he's still on Facebook. But he posted this thing. Oh, and by the way, that's one thing is like L.A. comedians and um, New York comedians are like very Instagram. For some reason, Perry comedians are very Facebook. It's, I don't know if that's Menlo Park or it's just been that way for so long. But it's yeah. like L.A. New York comics are like, why the fuck you hit me on Facebook, you old fuck? And I'm like, because that's how they did shit. And, OK, yeah, fine. Yeah. Man. Anyways, <laughs> Kamel posted this uh, thing because he was out there for his uh totally biased show that chris rock was a, yeah. a ep on and whatnot and anyways he posted this thing he was moving back to berkeley and like as a young comedian at the time like you could be in brooklyn what the fuck but basically he wrote this long thing and the things essentially were um he says something to the effect of um you know the train shuts down at these random hours finding somebody to babysit and it's just too hectic and I, and obviously he's like more of like a kind of one-man show host kind of guy more than he is like a a stand-up comic yeah but um you know w w with that said like even a guy like okay you move to new york and chris rock is executive producing your show the show ends and you're like fuck this not i'm going to la not i'm gonna stay here and just do spots and tour but let me move to berkeley and by the way i don't know how well you know berkeley it is the worst place for stand-up comedy somehow oakland's great san francisco's great but berkeley you get the worst people at comedy shows there. i don't <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, I don't I don't know that scene. What I do know is that I started comedy in New York City. So I did like, yeah. my first. Opening oh, oh, no, no, no. But I, I, just, I just mean in relation to how we're talking about how, how New York can beat you down. And you were saying like how even if you're hired for that, it was. So when I, started, I was wondering if you could speak to that even with success and how it looks good, even when it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why I bring it up is like because I started in the city, um, I saw just like D.C., Every four years, there's a brand new crop of people who move to D.C. to be part of the government. Every year in New York, there is a brand new crop of uh, the best NYU graduates from Tisch who think that they want to be uh, superstar actors. 
or the, but they try to do comedy, right? Like Donald Glover was a NYU boy. Uh, Aziz Ansari yeah. was an NYU boy, right? So these people are, um, they're coming from theatrical backgrounds or from college. They come right away to the city with that hubris. At the same time, every, the best comedian in Indiana who just won like funniest comedian in Gary, he uh, comes to the me comedy castle with his girlfriend every year. <laughs> and uh, so does this, the hottest guy from Detroit and all of the best kids from Second City, Chicago. So I'm starting out and I'm still like, nah, like doing whatever bullshit jokes I'm doing as an open micer in my first year. And at the same open mics is uh, Kamel uh, Nanjiani, right? But he has already like got 10 years of experience in Chicago when he does the open mic with me and he sees me like not do well because I am green. And then somebody sees him and goes, oh, he's at this open mic, but he's brilliant. Let's book him for the next thing. So right. you're, uh, and, and so all I'm saying is that this city always has the like best from everywhere else coming here to showcase here. With that though, some of those great people actually succeed. And then all of the other people who came with the, esteem that self-esteem because they had done esteemable acts other places get their asses handed to them here and if their ego can't handle the bruising the snubbing the getting treated like an open micer again they go back home to where gary indiana well at least i know i've got this many spots at the clubs out there or well, rent is only this much and I get a whole house and I get to keep my car. You justify. Yeah. So you go back home to your middle class existence where you're the biggest fish in a tiny pond. You know, uh, rather than be in New York where everyone's like, who? Because like people will send me messages with like their all their credits and uh, their their like video and I'm like, dude, I know a thousand, I, like I book a show on Wednesdays. I literally know a thousand comedians who I owe favors to already. And somebody new messages me and they're like the biggest fish in uh, like uh, Topeka. Dude. Well, the, the credits are different too. You know what I mean? Like, cause if you're coming from LA or New York, it's like the credits, even if it's like not TV, it's like. You and I, it's like, we've got some albums that have debuted well. You're on like a really legit record label. We can say we've been on the same lineups with, you know, celebrity comics. So there's ways we could spin stuff, especially if you and I are going to a Topeka, Kansas or, you know, an Austin or something like that. I'm not trying to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to be a dick to anybody or negate or talk down about their accomplishments. But what I am saying is that the accomplishments um, that you know you value are uh, people- They don't mean shit. (laughs) They don't mean anything here because people are all in their own heads, right? So if you take it personally when somebody ignores you in New York, it's like, that's on you because you you will be ignored. Like I'm ignored. (laughs) And yet I've been, I'm like established here. I know, like I said, I've worked with thousands of performers here, but really being, being out of the loop for a month and coming back, you're just like the new guy again here because this city constantly 
uh, has it has no memory. No. New York is a, is a goldfish memory city where it's like, what is the next great thing that you're working That's on? That's why I didn't even like message. I was just like, I'm just fucking showing up to a show. I'm not going to ask for a spot. I'm going to hang out. Like right when I got there, I'm like, I'm hanging out. Dude, that had so much more impact. Yeah. Looked than if you had sent me a message with your credits because I would have been like, ah. Yeah, I'm not going to do some, hey, remember me shit. I'm just going to show up and dap up, and then I yeah, chopped dude. it up with Jordan Rock, and, you know, then I've been seeing totally. And that's how that's yeah. all the opportunities come from. And that's kind of like what I was getting at with walking outside the house. You know, this is one of those places where the opportunities are right there in your face if you're just able to physically get out and show up. No, no, definitely. I mean, I was feeling it happen before, like, you know, the ex did that bullshit. But, um, which, if you guys are not familiar with, listen to post- breakup self-care episode where i break it all down <laughs> um gabe already knows i don't gotta rehash it but um but yeah i felt it like starting to happen then she pulled that bullshit but uh but yeah it's like because with new york it really is about being outside and i was like okay what i was talking about earlier though how like with the wire presbo and you did you start to see the cycle and then presbo eventually when you get to the final episode of the wire where he's got like the he's got the beard and everything and he's got Kind of like he's got crowd control. He's like, yeah. you're going to buy him another sandwich, you know, and, and he's got that. Yeah. So with you being able to to like kind of see all these things w- without getting too personal, you can maybe get a little personal. Um, yeah. You did see. Well, you I see my ex rush the stage during a set, which she had never done before. And that was a huge fight after. You yeah. saw that. And she's not a because like the thing is like Amanda, you y- y'all thought like she was a. Com- I'm like no, she, I would not date a comic, or I wouldn't get in a relationship with a comic. I'd fuck a comic, but I wouldn't get in a, a serious, you know. And I like, and that was like a whole thing. So I'm saying w- w- with that, and did that register with you at all? By the way, what registered is that? Um, well. Significant others at, at at comedy shows are, um, to me, they're like mostly a red flag. So, really? Why? Why? Well, how many times can someone who is your partner want to come and see you uh, without <laughs> the magic wearing off? And really, I don't want supportive friends. I want fans. And uh, someone who's showing up for support, particularly a partner, is um, it is almost like holding you hostage in some ways because you can't be fully yourself if you are policing your behavior to be a good uh, partner in a couple. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing was it was a thing for me. You talked about having two foots out. Is I was with somebody that was a comedy nerd. And I'm like, why the fuck do you follow Shane Gillis? Like, <laughs> you know, he like is that's so, that's like a little too count because for me it's like I'm like when a comedy special comes out, like I'll watch it one time, especially just as like an impressionist. I don't yeah. want to get somebody's style in my voice, so mm-hmm. like I'll watch it one time and then I'm like, all right, I'm good, I'm done. I need to stay in my life. It took too long to get Patrice's voice out my my vocals, like so I don't even want to fucking. Um, if your girl is not your manager. Or your partner is not your manager. If they're not there to help you write jokes, then it's kind of like, would you bring your wife to your open heart surgery if you were a doctor? 
you know, would you bring, why, if you were a police officer, would you bring your girlfriend w out with you when you were like writing traffic tickets? Nah, man. So <laughs> Wayne Jenkins leaves her at home. Yeah. Yeah. So when I meet like, uh, the partners of comedians, I'm like, oh, this isn't going to last. Like, why are do you, you ever think like, oh, this is good though? Uh, rarely, rarely, really, yeah. really. So, uh, yeah, man, I feel it is a solitary pursuit and it, if not a solitary pursuit, it's a pursuit where as an artist, you're, you should be open to the world while you're performing the art. And it's almost like traveling the world. Like if you're traveling with a, someone, then you're seeing half of what you would have if you were traveling by yourself. Because most of okay. you in with them, like, you want to eat falafel here? How about this? Do you want to do this? Can we do that? Is this street safe to walk down? Are you tired? Like, you got to... Okay, okay. I, I want to push back a little bit on that, though. I just, you know, for yeah. the sake of entertainment <laughs> or, or whatever. So my pushback is, what about when it's like, yeah, I'm in, like, I'm in my tech bubble or I'm, I'm in this office or whatever, this cubicle, and this is like the kind of more fun shit is I get to go out, see you do your thing and there could be free drinks. There's this. And I get to see you in this light that, where it's good or whatever. I'm not talking about bringing girls to open mics. I'm talking about bringing girls to shows. Yeah. Right. What's the point where, um, how do I put this? Like, cause there's a point where it is exciting. So are you saying like y'all been together too long for her to be here or like, cause there is like, I'm just I, like, what I'm curious is about that. Uh, that fine line. Interesting. I think uh, you, if she is learning the city right now on her own, she should be taking the time that you're at the shows, making her own friends, doing something different. So her happiness in the city is not dependent on you creating the excitement and fun, particularly when you're both starting out. That's something. Uh, and then if she has seen you perform multiple times, she's going to start seeing the pattern of, of what you're doing. Because a lot of stand-up is um, making a, a room full of strangers love you. Yeah. So Are you saying they can fall out of love by what makes strangers love you? Yeah, because they're, uh. they're watching you be charming. In a, and I don't want to say an inauthentic way, but in a way that they will find inauthentic because uh, they'll be like, oh, this, these are all the tricks he used on me to make me fall in love with him. Or that's not who he really is. Well, what was that? Uh, it, like, it, it wasn't good, but women were like really into it. Was, and it, it came out right during the pandemic. What was it? Dirty John or something? <laughs> I didn't the know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was forced to watch it for obvious reasons, but. They they kind of start to kind of look at you as like a con artist and a bit of a bullshitter. Mm, yeah, like, and, uh, and I don't think this is every uh, relationship. Um, you know, I, I've been blessed uh, to mm, someone who I love uh, is a huge fan of comedy, and uh, we're she had before meeting me was breaking down and analyzing sets all the time from other performers. So when she comes to shows. It's like she leaves me alone and she can go and bullshit with comics. And if I ask her to watch my set, she can watch it like ones and zeros and break it down. 
So it's not like she serves a purpose. Yeah. And she can handle herself. She is not a stranger in the space that I need to lifeguard watch the whole time. You know, she mm. does her own thing. And this is, this is the problem of a challenge of like bringing somebody you're with to a, to a, a an event where you're kind of uh, at work. Cause it yeah. gotta be, you gotta be political. You gotta be green room style. Uh, you might be uh, shaking hands and kissing babies and interacting with fans or seeing old friends who are coming to see you for the first time, or you're in town and your friend and they're in town, whatever. So random people from your past show up and now yeah. also navigate a date night because you've turned your job into date night by bringing your partner. Okay, so when you, that would that oh God, you're just saying so many things that I just like I, I just want you to take on and I just want to tell you and you know. Um so so, so one is because I know you gotta get out of here soon, so I'm, I'm not trying to take up too much of your time. But one thing is, and, and this is a thing that kind of changed. You talk about the Tyler aspect of New York. I'd have nights where I'd hang out like at the stand, New York comedy club, somebody else's show, and I'd just hang around, show face, like, hey, I'm out here, I'm out here. I'm really a comic, I'm not hiding in the house. And then it'd be like, all right, we, we got to go out somewhere. And it's like, all right, we're just grabbing a drink. All right, we're just going to this bar. And it reached to a point where it's like, oh, we're not really checking in anymore. And we're living like kind of separate lives. And you're starting to live this kind of like Leah Dunham girl's life. And I'm starting to live this like how to make it in America season mm -hmm. one type life. Yeah. And it's because New York is one of those places where it's like there's so you can live a paid and full life over here. Then you got somebody living a sex in the city life over there. And you could just, even though you're in the same city or under the same roof, you find yourself living live very, 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 uh, you know, different lifestyles. And that's, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure that's that's something you you felt and sure. you and uh, you, you've seen. Well, my advice to anybody listening with that is, uh, if you come here to hustle and grind, set up clear boundaries and set up uh, times for like whatever you want to call it. If you want to call it date night, you call it that. But time yeah. where you do collective things. Uh, so then when you're out of pocket, it's not like you even have to check in and be like, I'm running late. It's literally like, yo, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I'm out of pocket. You, We are mm -hmm. not seeing each other. Monday, if you want to do like cute time at the laundromat together at noon, that's great. Uh, Tuesday, if you, uh, we can do like a, like a date night and explore something in New York together. Wednesday, if you want to do like a hangout with mutual friends, cool. But these days are like out. We're not, I don't need to check in with you. But doesn't that, but can't that kind of, I mean, it's like, it sounds good on paper and it would, you know, would have been <laughs> better for me had I done. But it's also, there's something kind of unsexy about that, you know? And, like, uh, you gotta. Because you, you talked earlier about like routine and all that. Yeah. And like, yeah, you got to get out your routine, but that is a routine right there. And I, routines do make or break relationships, but there's also something very like, you know, kind of like where I would get, and I don't even want to put this on women. Like, well, you know, then nothing's ever good enough for women. I'm going to say it myself. Like I've had, I, I've had girlfriends. I had one girlfriend, she's a teacher and she was, and she would speak like this and everything is a certain kind of way. Mexican woman from you know where Watsonville is yeah she was from Watsonville she lived in Watsonville and my life was great this is like I was with her from age 22 to 24 mm -hmm. and basically I it was a very Amtrak relationship I would like 
if I go from Oakland to LA to Santa Barbara, because there's a club in Santa Barbara. I worked at a lot during that time. Yeah. So, and then I'd meet her at the Selena Sam track station and it, it was fucking crazy. And she was, she was, she was born in 84. I was born in 90. But anyways, we had a very, like, she had a thing where she's like, on Sundays, I need to be left alone and prepare my lesson plan. Yeah. And I would be like, I want a fucking Sunday now. I want a fucking... Or she'd be like, Fridays, I'm decompressing. I will come to Oakland on Saturday. I'm like, I want a fucking Friday, goddammit. And that kind of... You yeah, get a little competitive. You can make... I mean, I was younger, so now I, I wouldn't do that now, but I mean... That's that forbidden fruit thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, but like, how do you avoid the forbidden fruit? Well, uh, what I'm interested in is, personally, in my life now... Um, I like the term solo, and then uh, I'm solo. And when I see, I have somebody who I see uh, probably twice a week, but the thing, the way that we organize it is that I'm always showing up as my best. Mm -hmm. So if I can't be my best, I'm not coming out. Whereas in most relationships, it's like you give each, you show up to each other tired, angry, ready to complain about some bullshit at work um, because you've you've made an agreement to like, well, we're going to see each other every day. And I would rather strip the relationship from the emotional baggage part of it. I'm not someone's therapist. I'm not qualified to be your therapist. Just because we have sex does not mean that I am a licensed psychologist. So I cannot fix your head. I can yeah. orgasms, but I cannot fix your head. Go you seem like you fuck a lot. I get that vibe from you. I mean, yo. Wait, a, as a single guy. I mean, I know you're I'm a, a couple skinny, now. But. I'm a skinny, energetic dude with a high-calorie <laughs> intake diet. So you do the math. That, I'm saying, like, you're skinny guy. And you're, like, you're, you're also, like, you're, like, what, six even? 5'11", you know. Yeah. I'm a mid mid-sized king. You are very tall for a, a Latin man. So, like, I know, and, and yeah, tall, skinny guys, fuck. Yeah, that's just okay. that's just a fact. We're doing okay. So, yeah, I mean, everything works. <laughs> everything works. Uh, I feel I feel pretty good about it. And I try not to. Um, since I I my uh, the breakup of this engagement, I've really yeah. done a lot of uh, work um, to to decide what I want. And to not uh, go along with other people's, um, to go with the flow. And I think that's really important is like, don't go with the flow and compromise for what other people want. Know what you want, like, like really decide, you know, to know what you want. And for what me, if the flow is what you want, though? Well, once you find the right person, it's easy. Yeah. Right. But you can't ever find the right person without being without uh, standing in your own boundaries and like being able to communicate exactly who you are and what you want. Because you're, you're like what, thirty eight years old? <laughs> I'm forty three, man. I'm an old. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're forty three. When did you get to the? Okay. Shit. I'm thirty. Okay. Yeah. You're over ten years older than me. This is this is awesome. So, at what point did you get to? Did you get to this? Oh, because I feel like you're like in this really, really good space with women and intimacy and relationships. And I feel feel like whether you were single or or not, I feel like you would you're just in this space. You're like, oh, motherfucker, I got it. And yeah. how long did it take for you to get that? 
was this like did you not have it uh uh with the with the engagement or or pre or like like when did this start uh i think i've i think it's been a it's been an evolution there isn't one moment but there is i think it is after the breakup to really stand in that truth it was realizing oh yeah man i didn't want to be i didn't want to get married anyway i went along with this because i thought that's what she wanted and i uh also have in the past it's not that i cheated but i never understood the idea of like being with one person forever monogamy yeah. felt, uh, feels like not practical for everyone you know but we think of it as the default it is a kink being monogamous is a kink just like being polyamorous is a kink just like uh any other way that people desire things um those are all i don't want to say choices but they are they're preferences right so it's a preference to want to be monogamous and for me it's not my preference so i'm not going to tolerate someone telling me that i have to be all right all right so i i got to take it here now <laughs> you still are a man yeah you still are mexican that's right and with being black being Mexican, and especially like I don't know the type of neighborhood you grew up in, but I grew up in the hood, so there's a certain sort of thing with masculinity that even comes with the inner city and certain things. I don't want to say that like you necessarily wanna. It's not even that you want to possess women, but it's that there's a certain thing where you care about how things look on the outside, especially when it gets to certain things that are sensitive to black and brown men, like you know, the woman that you're with and, and certain things like that. So you say like, all right, monogamy. And I'm sure uh, you, you yourself could be with a woman that could go off, do something with somebody and come back to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What is the line though, where you're like, nah, but fuck that. Like, well, what's the line? Like, is, or is there a line where you're just like, yo, I can't, I can't hear that or like, nah, I'm not cool with that. That's like a little too close for comfort. Like, okay. In layman's terms, right. I, I know this. I'm, I've gotten in my NPR bag for you to make you feel uncomfortable, to make you feel more comfortable, but I'm going to say it like the way I would with, with most of my, my guests. What's at the point where you like, nah, you ain't going to fuck my bitch like that. That's just how I normally put it. But I've been, I've elevated for you. I've gotten my Tavis smiley bag for you, Gabe. I hope you appreciate it. But like, what is the, what's the line for that? Like, or is there a line for me where you can feel disrespected even while you have this verbal kind of open, not so open, but you know, I don't want you, I don't want, uh, somebody I'm seeing to be hooking up with another performer in my yeah. life. So no other comment. Wait, in your life or, or performer period or comedian period, man, it'd be better if it wasn't another comedian, but basically just nobody in my circle. Mm. That's about it. And okay. I think about it this way too, man. Like, you know, if you're with somebody and you're showing up as your best, uh, for me, something big was that I don't feel jealousy is not one of my um, primary emotions. You know, I have, uh, but my, I've been with women who were very jealous people. And <laughs> if they're jealous and they're acting um, paranoid or upset when I'm, talking to other people like a lot of uh i'm very comfortable talking with women especially uh creatively 
Like I uh, write jokes with uh, women who are comics and I have gotten so many opportunities from the women in my life, bookings, money, and to have a pussy, to have a partner be like, why are you talking to her? Or like, did you just like their Instagram post or why is she booking you on this? To ha to hear that nonsense is like, do you realize? How so jealousy is for me, one of the most unattractive, it's a boner killer. It's unattractive. Uh, and it makes me want to go cheat. That's funny. Cause I like a little bit of jealousy. So I like people are wired for that. And that is, you got to find somebody that's compliments that, but I'm telling people right off the bat that it's not going to work for me. It's going to, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like a cocktail. Okay. Like none of us want to drink bitters straight, but yeah. a little bitters with the sweet, this is a good time. You know what I mean? So I just like a little bit, like make me all not make me because I don't I don't want a woman to make me feel blah blah blah. But I'm saying I appreciate like oh you still think I could fuck bitches like that even though we together. This is I, it feels good. Man, look, the opposite of jealousy <laughs> is, uh, is compersion. So compersion is this idea that you uh, someone else's happiness makes you happy. Someone else. I know what that word happy. means, but yeah, keep yeah. going. But I think about it that way. For me, it's like I'm fucking know, around. I didn't know what that word meant. But it just means show up, like show up as your best and treat me right. Yeah. And so, if a partner is out there in the streets doing whatever they need to show up and be their best around me, we're good. And and this kind of goes back to like the out the drug thing. You know, when I said I'm cool with all drugs. It's me. Wow. Not wanting to say what drugs you, you've uh, done. Yeah, man. But, you know, I'm a grown ass man and we've been and we lived through the 80s and 90s and life. <laughs> and I, what you, you were like born in the late 70s, though. Yeah. You say you lived through the 80s like you were. Right. And you're and, playing with He-Man. And all those and all those just say no commercials just made me just made me salivate for whatever they were saying. Just say no to. Oh, it made. Would you say you're a contrarian? Yes. Okay. Yeah. In fact, the best way to get me to watch something is to say, "Nah, I don't think you'd like it." Like if you said, "Gabe, you need to watch the IT Crowd." Oh my God, that is the show for you. I will. In my head, note to self: don't listen. But if really, you, yeah, I got like oppositional defiant disorder. I absolutely. How? How, how do you become a teacher like that, though? Well, uh, a lot of practice. Like, what, what being wired like that? Mm, I think it. I think it helps me um, get into the, like the minds of my kids. They, I'm very. I motivate them very well. So, I I identify strongly with the kids in the class that uh, want to act out. And Can you tell what type? Well, hold up. What type of student do you think I was? I mean, you were loud. You were loud, and uh, you like to do a lot of voices in class. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, any if you did, um, if you did agree with the teacher to be helpful or anything, it was just for stage time, and it often, <laughs> and it was often that you were the kid that was like, "Yo, guys, be quiet, be quiet." Mr. Pacheco's talking. Come on, he's got something to say. 
Yo! One of like the funniest moments ever was I was at this little all-black charter school, right? And it was really just so I wouldn't get held back. And my mom was like, all right, let me put you in so you don't get held back another year. Yeah. And, and at one point, it was all-black school, and um, they, we were talking about some man that I guess was tras- trespassing and this one kid. And he was, like, he was just like a lovable, fat 90s black kid, like kind of looked yeah. like a mix of Kenan Thompson and Hercules and a Nutty Professor. Yeah. And he just says, was he a white guy? And then I just turned around and I said, it doesn't matter. And then when the teacher said, said he's right, it doesn't matter. And the kid just fell out laughing. And it's, it's nothing better than making a fat kid laugh. It's like the best. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, I would do that shit just to be, you know, like even when I was like acting right, it was like, all right, I'll tell you, I was recently, um, my cousin, he teaches in the Valley. And I don't know how well you know the Valley of LA, but it's like very, it's white, you know, it's nice and it's slow. And the Valley is kind of like, it's probably like the Long Island of Los Angeles County. Yeah, man. Does that makes so sense. Talking like it's like this is like northeast of uh, downtown LA. Not even downtown. It's it's like north of um. It's like north of West Hollywood, and then and uh, so you got so like the valley is like Silver Lake, where a lot of comics live, yeah. and you got a good amount of shows, and it's North Hollywood, where you got the the Ha and it's Burbank, where you got uh fucking um flappers, and you go north of that is Sherman Oaks and Van Nuys. But anyway, so my cousin, he's uh teach, he's coaches, he's uh white middle school kids basketball with a few racially ambiguous kids sprinkled in anyways one kid he kept saying like that's gay that's gay and i said hey cool it with the gay and i really just wanted to quote 40 year old virgin i was like i just really even though it was like hey man you can't be talking like that anymore even though i do feel that like young heterosexual not even heterosexual but i feel like young men in sports deserve to say fucked up things to each other in a safe masculine space I just really wanted to quote Steve Carell in that movie and say, cool, with the gay. It was like, and that movie is set in the valley. So anyway, so you're right about that. Um, the the kind of like more heavy note that, um, and I mean, you know, I don't know if it's heavy to you, but what made me think about you recently, Gabe, is yeah. I know you haven't been thinking about me because you're in New York and you guys got fishbowl memory. But <laughs> what made me think about you <laughs> is we had um, a Mass shooting in New York, 15 people hit. Thank God nobody killed in yeah. Brooklyn. Um, then you date Texas. Tragic, tragic, tragic. And I was curious about like what this means to you because you're a teacher, you're a Brooklyn resident, uh, you're a Mexican man. Like, did that affect you at all? Or, or you know? Oh, man. Uh, one hundred percent. So I think about this all the time. I have a, I tell a story in my uh, stand up about school shooter drills, and how absurd they are, and being in my first one, and uh, just how normal we've made something so horrifying. You know, like I grew up watching things like RoboCop and yeah. uh, Starship Troopers, and you watch these. These movies, or even the boys today, uh, and and these these things that show hor- that that normalize horrifying events or like conditions in life, and but we make them seem normal, right? We make horrifying things seem normal, and the fact that I was around these like little fourth graders, and they're like running into closets and stuff for uh, for school shooter drills, 
and they knew more about how to behave than I did because they'd been through countless drills already. And that we do that, that we uh, as a society do that to our um, kids to make them think about death in that way is, um, I mean, it's, it's shameful that that's the reality that we've created for them. And so that is one element of it. Um, another element of it is that when we go to places like Uvalde, um, the cowardice of the police, you know, I'm a cab all day. Yes. And, uh, I think that, uh, cops don't help anything really. They're, they're cleanup cops. are. Well, you said, you said you're a cab. Yeah, baby. A cab. What's that mean? That means all cops are bad. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not in that world, but black people, we just say fuck the police. But okay, okay, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, man. Uh, all cops are bad. Um, they are cleanup. Um, at, for poor people, they're basically cleanup. They clean up the um, uh, the mess after a murder, but they don't they don't solve murders and they don't stop them. They don't stop crimes. They uh, they write reports after crimes happen. And uh, they're tax collectors, and they uh, collect taxes from anybody who's doing an activity that's criminalized. So if it, if it's a drug dealer, like we watched, um, uh, you didn't. Wa- I don't know if you watched it, but the new David Simon's show. We own the city. We own the city. The yeah, I want to talk about it with you, but yeah, yeah, let's let's go right now. Yeah. yeah I mean, the cops are tax collectors, and they tax they tax sex workers, and they tax um, they tax uh, police, they tax uh, drug dealers. And they also tax just like uh, poor black and brown men who are walking down the street uh, when they stop you at any time uh, and give you tickets. Give us tickets, give us fines, take money out of our pockets. So they are trash. They don't do anything. Rich people don't use police. Rich people uh, get their property protected by private security forces. So if you live- You hear about that in Chicago, this happening now, right? I guess more and more of them are doing it. Yeah, man. You know, they so so cops just police poor people. That's their job. And these dudes in Uvalde, these cops, they stand outside the building and they uh, wait an hour. There are 19 of them heavily armed and they wait an hour before they go in there. And we don't even know what the real story was of what happened in that room. Um, We just know uh, the people who are dead. We don't know if the cops killed those kids in a firefight. Uh, The minutes of that activity of that of the whole scenario are not uh fully disclosed yet um but and then the cops their excuse was we were we were scared for our lives and yet they're not scared for their lives when uh like uh uh, castillo uh yeah when he is uh in the video with that man who worked in a school like the schools i worked at he uh hands his uh license and he tells the police officer that he has a gun in his uh, glove compartment and the police officer shoots him. And so these cops, uh, are, they're cowards. They're, yeah. they're cowards and they're, uh, unwilling, or it's not even in their training to actually help people. They're not trained to be heroes. So, uh, that is heartbreaking. These Mexican kids, uh, that's, um, yeah, man, I'm I'm bum- I'm super bummed out about it, and it's not even uh, people. It's not the right to bear arms, people, because I like the. I, I grew up with a grandpa who was a hunter, um, 
I've been around firearms and, and it's not that I think that they're always the problem, but the problem is, is that we're giving them to like 18 year old and 19, like to be able to buy a gun when you're 18 is insane. So yeah. And, and, but not a, not a fucking alcohol. Like, yeah, you can go join the army. You can go kill people at 18. Um, whatever you, you can serve your country at 18, but you can't buy alcohol. You can buy an AR-15, um, and and most of these murders are are being uh, committed by like young men who are, not all of them, but you know between the ages of like seventeen and twenty one. So just put put a moratorium on seventeen to twenty one year olds buying guns, you know, and uh, let and black people should all be allowed to buy guns, you know. Uh, every black person should be able to have a gun, like the the first time that there was. Um, was was gun control was put on the table even in California was when the Black Panther Party started showing up to events with weapons, and then Ronald Reagan, who was governor at the time, was like, "Well, we should have gun control." Yeah. So, uh. Uh, I'm not against guns, but I am against young white men having guns. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I feel very similar. Um, I hope that wasn't too much of a bummer, but that's no, no, no. There, 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 there's a reason. There's a reason I wanted to put it towards the end. Um, yeah. Before I get out of here, a quick. Uh, I don't want to call it a rapid fire round, uh-huh. but few few things before we get out of here. I have a uh, one uh, unanswered New York questions, partly for me, and then just for anybody that's um, just kind of curious about uh, getting out there. Do you think there's a point? Because I, I felt this for me moving out there and like I was like, I've got more connections in L.A. and I'll blah, 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 is do you think there's a point and not even just about New York, but it, we could even say L.A. where as a, a comedian, as a performer, it's too late. Like, I don't know if you're a basketball guy. Wow. Uh, it's never too late. It's never too late. Okay, no, not too late. All right, all right, all right, let me phrase it like this. Like, I don't know if you're a basketball guy, but like, for example, somebody like Allen Iverson, I felt like he got traded three years too late because then he was just an angry old man that didn't want to pass. Where it was like he should have gotten traded when he was a young man that didn't want to pass. It wasn't as angry. So, so what I mean by that is like, there's a certain point where it's like, yeah, I can't. I've been doing this for X amount of years, and I mean, look, like you should be humble if you want to make it in a business as fickle as show business. But yeah. there's certain systems you will work better in than others. Do you think there's a certain point where you can move to one of the one of the meccas, LA or NY? Like, you know, like you should do it like maybe when you're seven years in, as opposed to when you're twelve years in. Uh, okay. So the the things that are going to make it very difficult it, when you move in later is if you already have a middle class career somewhere else. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed is that if somebody already can buy a house in Indiana and then they come to New York and they're like, damn, in Indiana, I can make 50 grand a year or whatever it is. And it goes further and you come to New York and you're like, I don't, I got to be a bartender as well, you know? Um, But the whole point of being here is that it is a crucible. It is a training ground. It's like an intense gym workout where you are around the best and you're in your 30 minutes or your hour you realize that that hour is only 15 good minutes because the rest of it was bullshit crowd work or like the difference between cats and dogs or some dating uh, nonsense that just nobody cares about. So, That's cats and dogs too. Yeah, man. You've got to, 
So this is a place where you have to refine, um, where it demands that you refine what you're doing. And if you're older, you just have more baggage that you have to deal with. Because if you've got kids, that's a problem. If you've got a lifelong partner that doesn't understand or that wants more from you, that's a problem. So yeah. you just have to be able to travel lightly mentally and physically. And that's the only reason it's more of a challenge when you're older. But I watched, for anybody out there that needs inspiration, watch the George Carlin documentary on HBO. Because this man, George Carlin, reinvented himself at least four different times. And he uh, was like at the top of his game in the early 60s, right? He made a big splash during the black and white era. And he's wearing the suit and the tie. And he has a wife and uh, a daughter on the way, baby on the way, mad bills to pay. And he's like... (laughs) He's like, all right, I'm on TV already. I'm commercially viable, but I'm the voice of old people. I'm talking to old people. This is boring. I want to do jokes for my friends smoking jazz cigarettes. Can I do that? And And his wife is like, I trust you. And he took a pay cut for like three years and grew his hair out long and started wearing denim. And then he became like the, the groovy hippie George Carlin, but he could, should have, he could have stayed in that Costco life, you know. You say, but by the way, is there Costco in New York? No, man. I'm just saying, you know, comfort. No, yeah. I mean, I was just curious, like, because I that was I remember, like, I've only seen like two gas stations in New York. Yeah. The whole time, like, I didn't see a gas station, so I'm just curious, like, where, where do people get, you know? So, anyways, yeah. He just Keep going. His wife was like, uh, he could have been, a, he could have had a comfortable living and been, uh, been an. Uh, forgettable comedian for 10 more years before he became totally irrelevant as a suit and tie boy. But instead he, his wife was like, I support you. And they went back to like eating uh, Franks and beans out of cans for three years until he emerged from his cocoon as this new radically different dude. And that is kind of what New York or moving to LA will cost you if you're in the middle of the country talk about moving because you moved to new york at like what 22 23 like fresh out of college right yeah i got a question for you it like because i don't cons- even though you were not born in, you're not like you're not born in new york but you're raised in new york right Yeah, my, i've spent my adulthood here yeah and i spent at what childhood in dc so at what point do you consider somebody not a gentrifier like okay when i was in new york i didn't consider myself a gentrifier because like i'm you know i'm black as hell i'm an artist so like i was like i did feel like i was like contributing somewhat to make to the community and i I don't have like a it needs to be this kind of way like i'm not that type person like oh this this oh this is how y'all do uh y'all rice okay cool let me try that but at what point when you do have people that move into uh you know a place at what point does one stop becoming a gentrifier? And at what point is somebody like, uh, you know, or or will they always be an outsider? Because I'm sure you've seen different iterations of uh, New York. Yeah. So I'd say um, that because I worked in the school system, I've uh, worked with, for 18 years now, I've worked with the children of New York City. So uh, I feel like I'm part of the community because I've contributed to the um, further growth of the community, like mentally, and I've worked with their, I've worked with the kids. So I've worked with the families right. of the city. 
I don't feel like a gentrifier for that reason. And another uh, something else is just like, are you uh, shopping locally? I don't know. Are you interacting with the people around you in a pleasant way? Are you learning the names of the people at the bodega? Uh, are you just here as an extractive scavenger? And I'd say some comedians are that. You know, some comedians just show up and they're like, cool, I'm in New York for two years and then I'm going to audition for this. I came here for a pilot deal and then I'm out. Right? They're, this is a campus for them. What does an extra, extravagant scavenger look like for somebody that's not even in, in, in entertainment? An extractive scavenger was the term. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. They are extracting. Extractive scavenger. Yeah. You're introducing new terms to me, Gabe. Like I, I wasn't a great student. I'm trying to keep up. Well, but a fintech bro who uh, moves to uh, a high-rise uh, luxury condo right on the water, where uh, the Whole Foods is in the downstairs of the building and the gym is in the building, and so uh, they basically they live in a, a steel and glass cruise ship on the water and never interact with anybody from the city unless it's the uh, Indian or Mexican delivery guy who brings them their their uh, seamless foe. <laughs> all right, all right. L- l- let me ask you this, uh, Gabe Pacheco. They're, but, aliens, uh, they're like the aliens from They Live. You know, they're not real humans. They're extractive scavengers. That's all. Did you think that I was that? No. No. Did you think my ex was that? Well, now that you're telling me that she was in a tech job, it's closer. But I don't know. I mean, she came to your show, so she was supporting the arts. But she also like ran on stage, and when I told her I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't do that, she said, "Fuck you, that wasn't even a real show." And yeah, yeah, that that like really happened. And then um, I should probably tell you all this off off air, but whatever. Then I said. Uh, I said something to the effect of um, you clearly don't respect the arts. And she said, yeah, so the fuck not. And she said, everybody, I'm, I'm amazing. You should marry me. And everybody tells you to. And then she elbowed me in the stomach and then said, uh, she, she said, you make me feel like a fucking Afghan woman uh, while we're on the streets of uh, Broadway in Brooklyn. Wow. Yeah. yeah, man. Uh, I don't know if that makes her uh, an extractive, extractive scavenger, but uh, it does mean that you definitely need to talk to somebody about this. <laughs> you, a little, just a, a couple therapy sessions to really cleanse the palate and and exercise this demon. You know? <laughs> you you don't, man. Like it, it's it's. This is like very like comforting and uncomfortable because normally like people can't see me like this. And this is like, this is fucking nice. This is. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, 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 Final thing uh, uh, to wrap it. Well, well, before we wrap this up, um, anything you got. This This has been what this has been great, Lyle. I love it. I'm I'm glad. Yeah, I I definitely. I like I'd like to have you back and just talk about TV shows. Yeah. uh, well, uh, if people want to hear more from me, though, I have a podcast. It's called Halal Cartels. And uh, my co-host with for that is Samir Nassim, who you met. Samir and I co-host uh, Funhouse Comedy every Wednesday at 10 p.m. in Williamsburg, Brooklyn at Pete's Candy Store. 
and our great show. I've done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were great on it, and that's where we reconnected when you came back to the city finally, and uh, we got to hang out, have some have some rum and cokes after the show. Um, We did that. Yes, and uh, but I really would appreciate everybody tuning into Halal Cartels, which is our podcast that you can find on Spotify, iTunes, and uh, all the other places podcasts can be found. And it's a pop culture from a post-colonial perspective. You got a Mexican dude and you got a a Muslim Indian guy just chopping it up, talking about geopolitics and uh, and music and TV. So so right before I let you go, we have very similar taste when it comes to cinema. Um, We own this city. Oh, yeah. Great show. You finished it? Loved it. Yep. All right. Let me ask you this. Do you feel... One, do you feel like there was propaganda on the wire? And do you feel that, because some people feel that um, with everything that's happened in the past and the what a friend of mine calls the great racial awakening of 2020, or what I call the, the Black Square month, is um, that David Simon, there was sort of somewhat of an atonement for the wire, which I don't, I, I feel like he did expose everything, but it's an hour show, only 12 episodes a season, so there's only so much you could show. But do you think in some ways David Simon was trying to like rewrite what maybe he didn't uh, fully cover on the wire or try to update it? Uh, I think, I think it's a good update. Um, One big problem. uh, I went back and rewatched two seasons of the wire and the best part of the wire is that it humanizes so many of uh, the characters. Um, And I feel like it gives like, there are so many wonderful black performers, actors with juicy roles, both as uh, the cops as uh, citizens and in the gangs, like the crews running the drug trade. But it still makes me cringe because it dehumanizes so many people, right? Like, I feel like there's still, uh, it still relied heavily on like stereotypes and, and shows. It's not, it's not perfect. The wire's not perfect. Every great artist has blind spots. And then this, this new show, I think uh, captures how easy it is to corrupt the police force because so many people will, will talk about, Oh, you've been to Mexico, Mexico, the cops are so corrupt. Or if you go abroad, they talk about how cops are corrupt in third world countries. But the, like by showing uh, Barenthal's character become corrupt in uh, Baltimore, it's like, dude, it's the exact same thing as like uh, cartel cops in Tijuana. Right, the cops just become crews of of bandits and robbers themselves. Interesting, interesting. Um, have you seen David Simon's other stuff? No. Like, okay, Treme. so he did Treme, right? He did Treme, The Deuce, and it was it was John Turturro with the he and I like I love John Turturro, but he did an awful Southern accent. John Turturro is a Jew, uh, Winona Ryder. And the guy that played uh, Al Capone, Capone's brother on a boardwalk that got killed. Yeah. Um, the plot against America, and it's a reimagining if America, if one, Hitler won, and then yeah. America got nice with Hitler. And uh, fucking um, also that Lindenberg ended up possible. becoming president. That was very possible. Uh, yeah. On the fence. The United States was on the fence as to who to uh, align with, Germany or England. And we had tons of financial ties to banks in Germany. And um, after 
1945, uh, we took a bunch of uh, German uh, scientists and brought them to the U.S. to work in our rocket program, which became NASA. So uh, the U.S. Uh, Defense Department was lousy with uh, ex-Nazi scientists. Not a conspiracy. Shoutouts to MK Ultra and Operation Paperclip. I was curious though if you saw that because yeah, he did. Let <laughs> this say like, look, you gotta understand that this podcast is normally um, this is a very black barbershop podcast. So yeah. just this conversation is a little out of is very out the realm of how it normally goes. I know yeah. you've seen some of the clips on Instagram. Uh huh. So. But I, I'm trying to like broaden my horizon, so there's gonna be certain shit. I got nothing for that. Yeah, oh, no, doubt, <laughs> no doubt, that's fine. Uh, but um, no, no. I, I, but I was curious that you seen like the other stuff, and uh, but yeah, just because I'm like, yeah, I just kind of want to see David Simon in Baltimore like forever because I've well, seen like the Deuce and this other stuff, and so it, it's love, fine. But yeah, I love uh, local um, filmmakers uh, or anybody who tries to pick a like a regional part of the United States and highlight it because so much of US media is focused in New York and LA and it gives a very skewed perspective of who we are. I get tired of looking at it too. I get tired of looking at New York and LA on screen. And that's Especially why, now that I've like lived in both, I'm like, all right, I, I get it, fuck. Yeah, and I, that's why I liked uh, Treme to a degree. That's why I like the Coen brothers when they make uh, uh, movies like Fargo, um, just to get that different accent. And when it comes to Baltimore, I like what David Simons does. And I also love John Waters, who is another mm. Baltimore native who made t all of his movies there. Or George Romero, who did Night of the Living Dead. He made all of his movies in Pittsburgh. So, like, I love it when these uh, artists are like, I am homegrown and this is my space. Or, like, one of my favorite comedians is Tony Woods, who's a DC native. Who DC, yeah crushes every time he's a monster but he represents dc to the fullest what um since since you moved to new york uh like post 9 11 or just pre 9 11 yeah what what are some movies tv shows that you feel like yes that is a new york i know and there are many different new yorks but what are some stuff where you like this authentically uh shows like a new york oh man i know uh, well, I can tell you movies that made me fall in love with New York that wanted me to move here. And one of them was After Hours, the uh, Martin Scorsese. Scorsese, movie. yeah. After Hours really uh, feels like parts of New York still feel like that. Uh, obviously, the fashion's updated. But if it was made today, it would be made in Bushwick or Ridgewood as opposed to Soho. But that is yeah. like the zaniness of sort of being out of pocket late at night in New York City. You know, I also love... Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I loved uh, 25th Hour. and uh, That's one of my favorite movies, period. Yeah. That's a good one to show New York right after 9-11. And, like, and, and did you feel that when you were living there? And it's also got a teacher in it, too. Exactly. The Philip Seymour Hoffman character. Yeah. yeah. Um, then there's uh, Full Nelson. <laughs> or Half Nelson. Well, Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Half Nelson, Ryan Gosling, and Shamika Epps. Yeah, that was a uh, I connected. And Anthony Mackie, you know, it's funny Anthony Mackie's performance in that. I feel like he took what he did from Papa Doc and then just transferred it. It kind of felt like Papa Doc, but just you know, yeah. if he didn't go to a private, if he didn't go to Cranbrook, a private school, like it, it, it felt like a transfer. Anyways, yeah, yeah, uh, Half Nelson. What, what else you got? Mm -hmm. 
the way you're like, oh yeah, this feels like. Well, there's so many different New Yorks, you know. Um, I also. But but I mean, just from what you can speak to, because I know like you probably can't speak to paid in full, you know. Right. Although I love it. Uh, That's it's great. Like, yeah. You can. You used to be able to pick up Feds magazine on the um, on the, on the subway platform. Finally, every dimension of the streets, and yeah. uh, that magazine really um, uh, was the newspaper of the streets and all those dudes' lives. So paid in full. It is. It is uh, fashion wise fits. I also loved the movie uh, Fresh. Growing up, yeah, Fresh and Juice were two like amazing um, 90s hip hop movies that made me fall in love with New York. I feel one that gets overlooked, even though it's technically not New York, is New Jersey Drive. That really, I fucking love New Jersey Drive. Um, Also the movie Kids, which is disturbing, but also really a great slice of life look at uh, what New York used to be like. That was like the tail end of what me moving here was like the tail end of that era. That was what I mean. I I didn't like. I didn't live. I was living in LA at the time. Time, but um, in, in the nineties. But yeah. I was told that kids is also a lot like what nineties San Francisco was like from people that experienced nineties San Francisco. And parts of um, yeah. Another thing I'm curious about is so there's post nine eleven New York. There's fucking um, pandemic New York, post COVID New York, and all that stuff, or semi post. What eras are there of New York that you feel the rest of the nation doesn't know about? <laughs> like, is there anything where you're like, oh, I remember this, this was a weird time. Or like, oh, that was a great time. Or that was a crazy time. Is, is there anything like... I wonder if they're going to make like nostalgic movies about the early aughts. Or do That's what I'm curious about. Like, 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 what was it like then? Like, I mean, because you kind of had gentrification coming in. And... Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So gentrification really, um, I mean, it was always happening, but I think in the uh, northern Brooklyn, like Williamsburg area, um, this uh, like the the birth of the hipster with the uh, truck driver hats and skinny jeans and uh, yeah. the yeah yeah yeahs and uh, the Strokes playing around here and Vice magazine opening up its shop in the American <laughs> Apparel era and uh, sort of this like right after nine eleven um, time. I don't know if it's been highlighted on film yet. Can I tell you one thing that did like kind of did disappoint me about Brooklyn What's when that? I got there? I I knew it wasn't going to be hood, but I was disappointed at like I thought I'd really be with like more people with accents and Puerto Ricans and, and whatever, and like I go out and it would kind of feel like fucking Oakland just in terms of like the hipsters and the dive bars and and, and the PBRs and shit. And I'm like this just kind of feels and like you know. Uh, Hey, look, we, we love Pete's Candy Store on this podcast. I, I don't like Williamsburg. It felt too much like Oakland and San Francisco. It was like uh, very... Uh, I'd say the internet has flattened culture. And so has okay. uh, the end of um, like different industries. You know, everybody's in tech. And all the people in tech live in the centers of the cities. And they all yeah. identically, they want the same uniform coffee. And they want the same I- I- identical unified uh uh entertainment right we're going on hinge we're gonna get gruyere grilled cheese sandwiches and uh we're gonna get coffee from oslo and it's gonna be third wave it's gonna be great and that's it ipas nice wines 
it's universal. There, are, there's no reason. Oh, oh, it's not nice wines. Okay, you know I'm a wine guy. All right, all right. Let me. All right, I want to. I, I got a theory. It's not even conspiracy theory, but I got a theory. I, I need to run this by you, Gabe Pacheco. Is I feel that hipsters gravitate towards like bitter taste because I'm like I look at what hipsters like because hipsters they're not drinking a fucking. Cal- like a, a nice California Napa cab. They're not drinking like a nice Italian fruit forward varietal. They're drinking nat- natty wines that are like very funky. They're drinking, um, uh, yeah, they drink their whiskey. They drink, uh, what's the shit? Absent, you know, like the kind of liqueur that you have to settle your stomach. They're drinking shit like that. And then even with food, it's like they're, they're like kind of, um, yeah. Like I notice everything's kind of bitter. Well, I'd say this, uh, the term, we won't even, the term hipster, they're, they're extinct. What I think of now is we have a, a transnational and international group of uh, fintech uh, professionals that live, yeah. that can uh, live anywhere they want because they can work remotely and they have a higher income than everybody else. And they are the engines of gentrification and whatever it is that their taste is, is what we're we're being subjected to uniformly all over. And maybe they like hoppy IPAs. I'm, it's bitter. It's bitter. And I'm not like, I really like in the hood, we like sweet shit or whatever. I don't like, like my palates develop. But yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> I just had to run that by you. Like, yeah. I, it was, yeah. Well, look, Lyle, I got to run, man. Yes. You've been doing this. This has been the best. But, uh, do you Jay have- Pacheco. Yes. Thank you. Let's do a part two. Let's do that. This has been the Let's Unpack That Podcast. I have been your host, Lyle Barons. Thank you very much for tuning in. Does anybody listen to this part? Does anybody fuck? Look, message me that you listen to this part and I will Venmo you $5 for listening the entire... I, I will. I'm serious. I will Venmo you $5 if you actually play yourself in a car you know what you know you know what i i got a fucking social media challenge it up like the coon that i am F- film yourself with five friends on tiktok playing this part and i will Venmo you five dollars you know what then niggas are gonna respond to it and everybody's gonna say you know don't do tick you know what the fuck i'm saying i'm serious though if, if anybody listens to this part anyways thanks for tuning into the show have a good one